Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Real Blend, a podcast that hopes that the Russo brothers get a Star Wars trilogy next. My name is Sean O'Connell. Hey, that was Jake's idea. And I am the managing editor here at Cinema Cinema Blend, and this is, and we're going to say this a lot of times, the spoiler-filled Avengers Infinity War breakdown episode. This hour or so and change is going to be loaded with spoilers for Infinity War, so please stop listening now if you haven't yet seen the film, as we are going to discuss in depth all of the awesome things that happened in this massive movie, and so to do that, of course, I am joined, as always, by Kevin McCarthy, entertainment reporter for Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Kevin, how are you, sir? Good afternoon, Sean. Uh, I'm excited about our special guest today, but I'll let you introduce him yourself. (laughs) We're getting there, we're getting there. Also, we have Real Blind co-host Jake Hamilton, the entertainment reporter for Fox 32 in Chicago, who might not have his headphones in yet, does he? I've got them in, baby. I'm in. They're ready. Uh, is is now a bad time to mention that I haven't seen Infinity War? Uh, yeah, you might want. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's a good time. I actually, I'm with Jake. I didn't see it either, so we can't talk spoilers. So th- well, that's going to be. Good. Like, then I'm glad that we have help because this is such a <laughs> supersized topic. We had to bring in. We call in... that a segue, kids. I like it. <laughs> uh, similar to how Thor needed assistance from Rocket and Groot, we put the call out to Fandango Managing Editor and fellow Massapequa native Eric Davis. Eric, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm rocking my my Infinity Gauntlet shirt. Eric, where is that shirt available? Yeah, can you get the plug in for us, Eric? It's actually available at Fandango's Fan Shop, our merchandising arm. You can buy this shirt and rock it around. I'm rocking it out today. We call it a plug, kids. Give us a background into um, uh, where you are at and how we know you, Eric. Where am I? Oh, well, physically right now, I'm, no, I'm, no, no. I'm in Massapequa, Long Island. But yeah, Weird. I'm a managing editor of Fandango. Um, I've been working for Fandango for about 10 years now, uh, basically covering movies and getting the word out. I do TV, I do radio, uh, I talk a lot about movies, interview a lot of filmmakers. And uh, Sean, I've known you for going back all the way. Uh, and Kevin and Jake, I know you guys probably more recently when I've, I've only done the on-camera stuff maybe the last five years. Um, and so I've met you guys in, in our junketing travels, um, but we're all really big movie fans and we always geek out about movies, uh, in big ways. And so I love that. And I love, uh, we're all very positive, positive moviegoers as well. And, and I'm a, it's big, a rare I'm a big thing fan these days. Yeah. Yes. I mean, considering there's so much negativity out there. And I, I want to say one thing about Eric, by the way, he's one of my favorite people on Twitter. Uh, just the knowledge <laughs> he drops on box office and things like that. And, uh, uh, a lot of exclusive interviews up front with directors and things like that. So um, follow him for sure. Like yes, very good. Eric, can you tease who you up. just spoke to? Well, I I, ha- I did. I spoke to Ron Howard, uh, director of Solo, Me. Star Wars story. Uh, so I, I asked yes. him. I asked him. That's fair. <laughs> yes. So I have a couple of interviews coming up in the next in the next uh, some odd days. Let's just say that uh, with with uh, Mr. Ron Howard. And another director that has a big movie coming out uh, this summer. Nice. Now, as long as being on Real Blend is the highlight of your week, then we're doing it. It is. No, it Uh, is. It definitely is. is. This is awesome. (laughs) I haven't talked to really anybody about this movie because we saw it. I know Sean and I, I think, saw it in Vegas last week. Uh, And then we came out of that and we're going right to a Warner Brothers presentation. And then another student. So I just haven't really had a chance to talk about this film. So I'm excited about it. Well, we are going to do that uh, and then some in this week's episode because we did a reaction review last week and we put off spoilers, but now, and it's Monday and I know that it might still be early. So again, we're going to remind everybody, if you've fallen into this podcast, you haven't yet seen Infinity War, back out now. We're going to get in depth into what we loved about the movie, why it worked, what 
what things maybe didn't work potentially. Um, and we're going to get into that all in a little bit. But before we dive into that, we always do a news segment and some of it's Infinity War news. But before we get to anything Avengers, Jake met John Williams. And I, I need to hear all about Jake meeting John Williams, because if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that we are huge Spielberg nerds. Um, we've already done a Spielberg blend. And uh, and John Williams, obviously, his music is so integral to Spielberg's success and not just Spielberg, but a, a number of filmmakers. But Jake. What was it like? How did it go? Tell us the whole story. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. This has actually uh, been about a year in the making. About a year ago, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, they do a series a couple of times a year called CSO at the Movies, where they play live along with a film that plays on a big screen. I'm sure you guys have something similar in your cities as well. Uh, last year, they did one for Jaws. And the tuba player on Jaws was the tuba player on the original soundtracks. So I was like, I've got to interview this guy. Like, that, I mean, that's, that's one of the most iconic instruments in one of the most iconic scores. I'm there. They subtly mention, hey, in a year, John Williams is going to be in Chicago. So anyone that knows me knows that that turned on the annoyance switch and meant that about every 10 days or so, I was emailing them going like, I got to get in a room. Uh, it was established that uh, he is in the middle of writing scores right now. That multiplied by the fact that he's 86 years old. Didn't lend for a lot of opportunities to sit down for a, a, a lengthy interview. And so I boiled it down to, can you get me in a room with a man to shake his hand, look him in the eye, and tell him thank you? I mean, we're talking thank you for a lifetime of happiness, right? Uh, so yesterday, after seeing him conduct the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and I'm telling you, you, you and, and Sean, I know you and I were both in the room. Eric, you may have been there too for the uh, 40th anniversary panel uh, at yeah. uh, Star Wars Celebration. Yeah. You think you've heard the Star Wars score until you hear him conducted, and it's like you're hearing it for the first time. It was it was, it was as close to a religious experience as I've ever had, uh, hearing him conduct Raiders, hearing him to conduct even a hook. I love Hook. I love the score for Hook. Uh, and then going backstage, I'm not going to say that he and I sat there and, and shot the bull for 20 minutes. We didn't. It was a brief encounter. But to be able to look him in the eye and tell him, like, look, I'm an entertainment reporter because I have a love of movies, and I have a love of movies that was birthed out of appreciating your music. So as a result of you, I've I've had a lifetime of happiness, and I thank you and appreciate it. I shook him in the eyes, shook him in the hand, shook his hand, <laughs> look him in the eyes, and uh, shook shook him in the eyes. Uh, but uh, it was just, it was a, it was a really cool moment. It was one of those that I mean, I've, whenever people ask me, you know, you've met so many people. Who's that one person you haven't met yet? Uh, for years and years and years, it was it was always John Williams. Uh, I have no idea who it is now. Um, but, uh, but to be able to scrap, I mean, that's, that's a, the very definition, I think for any of us, it would be a, a bucket list moment for us. So it was very, it was a very cool experience. He's definitely like, if I, yeah, people who are alive, him and George Lucas are probably the two people I'd, yeah. I'd really want to meet John Williams over Lucas though. I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine staring at him or being in a, breathing <laughs> his same air. I'd be freaking out. It's funny because I, uh, and I think a lot of us have done this, spent so many times in our interviews talking about him. But not actually to him. Uh, I mean, I've talked about him so much, but I can't believe you met him. That's so crazy, man. I, it just, now, now, Sean, I know you saw him live. Kevin, have you have you seen him perform live, or Eric, have you seen him perform live? Yeah, I saw him at the Star Wars celebration, which was right. probably one of the more emotional moments of yeah. my career. Where you know that was the first. It was only a few months after after Carrie Fisher passed away, and they just surprised the crowd. They had this whole moving tribute by her daughter. And then they open yeah. up the curtain and John Williams is scoring Leia's theme. And I just, the whole place, the guy in front of me was sobbing. Uh, and then he did a couple of more numbers and that was just incredible. You, know, yeah. you, well, you can't say this a lot about other composers. I mean, when you hear a John Williams theme outside of the film, you immediately know the film. 
And it's like that. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think Zimmer has a couple of those, but Williams has like a dozen. I mean, like if you yeah. hear Star Wars or Indiana Jones or E.T. or Jurassic Park uh, or Jaws, you immediately know the movie. I mean, I, I don't know how, how many other composers you can say that about. Maybe Howard Shore with Lord of the Rings. Uh, Do you know the one score that I whistle all the time and it drives my Super- kids nuts? Superman? No, no, no! It's the Back to the Future, uh, Back to the Future theme song Silvestri. by, by Sylvester. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know, yeah, I know, I, but I'm saying like that's probably the only other one that's not a John Williams yeah. theme that is just always in my head. I yeah. was, and you like know what's the, nuts is that like on air today, I was listing out for people that didn't know at home. I was like, you know, here are all the scores that he done that he's done. The fact that Superman was sixth on the list that I was listing, the fact that like one of the greatest scores of all time that's was my number favorite. six. Yeah, that's know, Jurassic, Jurassic Park's it. my favorite. Um, Superman was actually one of the one of the encores that he played. Um, but I would have uh, died. I, would, I actually would have died in my seat. It was nuts. Um, that was but, like uh, it's insane. I, have, I think I have to go Jaws, my favorite, only because of the simplicity of it, but also it almost factors into just being natural sound in the movie. It's such a simple tone. Uh, and Jurassic Park is clearly a masterpiece, but like the Jaws score is just I don't know. I always liken it to the simplicity of what Zimmer did with. Um, Joker's theme in Dark Knight with that yeah. D note. It's just like, I don't know, to me, the simplicity of that stuff when it actually becomes almost naturalistic in the world you're watching versus a music theme. Um, I don't know. I Oh, my God. I, I, I don't know what I would say to him. Did you mention a, a specific movie to him or did you just kind of have a moment real fast? I, mean, like, I would have been. I it was a what moment. I yeah, like, I, yeah, I wasn't able. You know what's funny is I actually like rehearsed. Like what I was going to say because because I didn't want to because you know how how often you know I knew it was going to be a quick moment and I didn't want to look back and and say you know I had one moment and I blew it because I didn't know what I was going to say so I, I would be lying if I said I did not rehearse earlier now, in the day did what Ren, I was going to say to him did Ren understand this or is this one of those things where she was like dude I actually brought uh, a, a buddy of mine here uh, with me in Chicago one of my co-anchors at Fox and that was the result of Ren appreciating my love and his love of someone like that okay. was the same reason that I brought one of my best friends with me to the last Jedi premiere. Cause my fiance is the best person in the sense that she recognizes my obsession, my love of these things. She respects it, but she also says like, you know, it's not quite like, I'm just not going to appreciate it as much as you are. <laughs> yeah. And she made what I think is a pretty cool sacrifice of saying, you know what? Take someone that is going to love it as much as you are. And, and so for that, I, I have a massive amount of respect for her. Awesome. All right, let's let's switch gears really fast and get into some. I, I hope she heard war. that because she's in the other room. <laughs> You're earning some points. That was rehearsed as well, by the way, before, <laughs> before, the, before the podcast today. Uh, today, <laughs> with the final numbers coming in, Infinity War is at two hundred and fifty-eight million dollars domestically. It is currently wow. the highest-grossing opening weekend of all time, knocking off the first weekend. Kevin, Kevin kept saying it was going to happen. And I was like, Kevin, no, it's at two forty, and Kevin kept going, no, it's it's got the record. And I go, Kevin, no, it's at two forty, and I was. So off. I kept, I kept, I, but the thing was, I remember reading something way early on that people were saying that they were, they, they were, they were hearing 260 to 270 initially. And then obviously we went into the weekend hearing 220, 223. Is it going to break Jedi for sure? But it won't break Force Awakens. I mean, Eric's probably heard a lot of these different numbers too, because you have a lot of these different sites who are recording and, and reporting different things. Yeah. I'm usually a deadline guy because I feel like they are pretty much on point. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that, and this morning my anchors were like, oh, we already know the movie did well. I'm like, I don't think you know how well this did. I mean, not only did it break the record for the highest opening weekend of all time, but it hasn't even opened in China yet. And the number previous was Fast and Furious 8, which did, what, 543 with the China opening. 
So, I mean, this is like, it's unprecedented how well, I mean, I think we all knew it was going to be big, but I don't think anybody knew it was going to be this big. I, yeah. I don't, did anybody knew it was going to be, no one knew it was going to be this big. I don't think anybody did. I mean, I think and, it just uh, goes to, uh, I think it goes to show you just how popular these characters are globally, you know, and yeah. it's so important. It's why Marvel's shooting, you know, sh- uh, scenes in South Korea now, and that's a really important market to it to, to them. And uh, it's just how big this was. The fact that it did beat Star Wars, I think, is just pretty monumental. Uh, but it does put a lot of pressure on that fourth Avengers movie. Uh, to sort of say, hey, you know, th- th- this one was like, this was the culmination. This was the end of a storyline, except no, it's not. There's another movie coming out. So, um, you know, I think how well that does will just give you an indication at how well received uh, this movie was. Because at Rotten Tomatoes, it's the 10th best reviewed movie uh, out of the Marvel films, which right. is, is not, you know, it's... There, there, Are you there surprised about that? that Did better. you think it was going to do better? No. I, I thought it was going to be where where it is, uh, right. just because it's so crowded. There's so many different heroes, and so much of the film kind of relies on you being a fan of the other films. I mean, this was something that's never been done before. They were, you know, culminating a storyline that began ten years ago, and so having seen those other movies really helps elevate your experience of this one. Whereas something like Black Panther, you don't have to really have seen the other movies in right. order to to enjoy it. I Eric, I have an interesting point you bring up about all these characters and how popular they are. But one thing I find interesting is how much more this made than Civil War. And Civil War, I think, did like 175 or whatever it was. And that still had Iron Man, Cap, you know, the main Avengers. It didn't have Thor or or Hulk or uh, whatever. But it was still a massive amount of characters, yet it still opened less than, I think, Avengers 1 and Avengers 2, um, if I'm not mistaken. So I guess... Do you think it had a lot to do with the idea of it being the end or the end being near? And I I would almost go as far as to say that the box office was as high as it was because of the shock factor of the ending. I think a lot of people were, once that story came out or people started talking about the jaw-dropping quality of the ending and people being in pure shock, I think that led people to a theater. And for me, I spent uh, $15, $17 yesterday to see it again in IMAX 2D just to hear just to watch it with another audience just to hear people's reactions and like we all know that when, when we get into spoilers particular entrances of characters thor's grand moment which is amazing um they, they it's these crowd reactions that i almost found myself being entertained by the crowd so it's one of those things where how do you explain why it did almost 80 million more than civil war well, I mean, first of all, what movie, you know, what movie didn't come out a couple of months before Civil War came out? You know, I think some of it is Black Panther. Black some Panther, of it is yes. just and not just Black Panther being a good movie and doing really well, but Black Panther sort of reminding audiences how much fun it is to rally around a film and go out opening weekend and see it with a huge crowd. I think those experiences that a lot of people had and the fact that a lot of those Black Panther pe- characters came back helped elevate it and also yeah the promise of seeing the guardians and the avengers and spider-man all of these characters together i think was a big thing and the fact that it was culminating and ending the story yeah i think all of it was just this recipe for success and you know disney knows how to market it you know know how to market it the the release of this movie made me the release of this movie made me realize how many people haven't seen all the marvel movies leading up to this i think all of us because we keep conversations amongst all of us who obviously have not just seen all 18, but have seen them multiple times. But 
so many people would come up to me and they tell you know I've I've seen you know a couple of the Iron Mans and I think I saw one of the Captain Americas and I may have seen one of the Guardians. I don't know which one. Like, is that okay? Is that enough? And I would just go like, because I, I think my natural assumption was, of course, everyone's seen all eighteen yeah. movies. I, I think if if anything, I, I know a lot of people that uh, kind of felt this need of like I've got some homework I've got to do before I go see this movie. And it's so much. I told I told someone if you can't see, I would rather you. Skip opening weekend, try to see all 18 movies, and then go weekend number three because it's going to make those final 20 minutes so much more powerful if you have that weight behind it of knowing who these people are. And you got to give the Russos an incredible amount of credit uh, for what seemed effortlessly combining every one of these stories, interweaving the characters. I, I would almost go as far as to say that it's the movie is so good that you could still watch it having not seen the other 18 films and follow it. I don't think it would have the impact that it has on us having seen the 18 movies. But I think, I don't know if you guys agree with me. I mentioned this last week in the podcast, and I watched it again yesterday. Every single scene is, like, one thing that bothers me in movies is exposition. Like, extremely over-the-top exposition where they just overly explain everything to the audience because they feel like we like don't Like a nail it. in the stairs? I know, I know. Um, but, uh, but, but honestly, if you watch these scenes in the movie, every time they're explaining plot points, i.e. Uh, the Infinity Stones, what they are, it makes sense in the scene because the characters are talking to people who may not have known that scene prior. So, for example, in the beginning, when, when the Infinity Stones are being explained by Doctor Strange and Benedict Wong's character to Tony and Bruce and everybody, that scene makes sense because those guys don't know what the Infinity Stones not, uh, necessarily are at all six of them. So, to me, it was almost like perfectly executed exposition where it made sense within the that's, scene to explain that to the audience. You know what I that's mean? That's not a- just the Russos, although the Russos are amazing at that. It's yeah. Marcus and McFeely. It's Marcus yeah. and McFeely, yeah. the screenwriters, knowing they've been on board since Winter Soldier. They mapped out Infinity War and Avengers 4. They just, they have the blueprint on the wall and they know where it needs Crazy. to go and they pay insane attention to detail. They're great. Um, and they are as good as the two guys who are writing the Deadpool movies uh, whose names are eluding me right now. Paul um, Wernick and uh, Rhett Reese. Rhett Reese. Yeah, thank you. And those guys just know that character. They know that yep. character and they know that world, and that's why I'm super confident for Deadpool 2 also. Um, I got to bring this up. It's almost not fair. <laughs> but when I saw this stat, it just made me laugh so hard that Avengers in one weekend outgrossed Justice League's entire run. Yep. I mean... Domestically. 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 Let's make sure you say that. It's still almost. It's like 17 Wait, what was Justice League's domestic run? 227? Uh, so you, the whole like that, domestic yeah. run was, was under 300? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't the entire domestic run. So what is that? I'm not trying to pit a... It's not a Marvel versus DC, although there, yeah. it is a Marvel versus DC. But, like, what did DC do so wrong? You know, what did we... Now that we've seen Infinity War, like, what did DC do so wrong, and how did they how did they fix it? it I mean, <laughs> listen, Infinity War definitely... It makes Justice League look worse. I mean, it really does. I mean, listen, <laughs> I actually didn't hate Justice League. I, I, I'm a, I'm kind of a, D, I'm a big DC guy. I love Man of Steel. I actually really loved Batman vs Superman R-rated edition. Um, I don't know. It's, it is, it is fascinating though. I think it all comes down to Kevin Feige though. I think DC does not have a Kevin Feige. There's no, there's no mastermind, like in my mind, that's actually just like puppeting the strings and getting keeping everything together. I don't know. They, they're missing that guy. I don't, what yeah. do you think, Eric? Yeah, I, th- I think that's part of it. And they also played tried to play catch-up. They tried to, to rush it too fast to get to, you know, the Avengers 
uh, their Avengers faster, yeah. you know, in a faster way. And, you know, it's interesting and, and I, I, I hate to plug it, but, you know, we did a survey asking people, what are you looking most forward to at Avengers Infinity War? 97% of people were looking for the humor and the heart. And that's over the action, that's over people in costumes, and it's it seems like that aspect of what Marvel's doing is that balance of humor, heart, and spectacle is what's really keeping people coming back and back and back to these movies. And I think DC was coming off of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight series. They said, no, you know, we need to differentiate ourselves. How we'll do it is just we'll be darker and grittier. And I think movie-going sensibilities had already shifted away from dark and gritty and they wanted more humor and they wanted more heart. And I think that Warner Brothers kind of realized that a little too late um, and now they're trying to course correct. And if you see their most successful one, Wonder Woman, has humor, has yeah. heart, has spectacle, has that balance that Marvel has that they also need to suit. So I think they still need to differentiate themselves like Foxes. Fox is saying, you know what, we're going to go R-rated. We're going to differentiate ourselves by making really risky stuff for the next few months until Disney acquires us. Uh, and then I think Warner Brothers needs to kind of say, what is our thing? Are we going to go with R-rated? Are we going to make just separate movies that aren't don't exist in a universe? How are we going to course correct this? I think Wonder Woman, they have that. Now they just have to figure out Batman and Superman and just get those aligned. Uh, I mean, they're characters that people will show up for. They just got to kind of get the right the right people behind it. I'm curious to see Aquaman. We saw a bunch of Aquaman stuff in Vegas, uh, and it looked it looked kind of promising. It looked pretty cool. I love James Wan, so I, 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 yeah. I will see anything he does. But but it's interesting about the Wonder Woman thing, because I, I guess a lot of people probably thought that Wonder Woman would catapult Justice League's box office, um, but like Black Panther did with probably Infinity War. But yeah, Justice League just wasn't as good as Wonder Woman, and it had a lot of problems. So And especially a lot of the back... I mean, I, I wish Snyder just can... You know, I wish we just saw Snyder's movie all through. Um, but you know, that, that's you know, it was a tragedy what happened with his family. So we we don't know what we don't we don't know what we could have gotten if it was just. I don't know. Family. I I kind of want to wish we kind of just got a whole Joss Whedon movie. Yeah, you know, I don't love uh, Avengers one or two as much as I I, I, I don't know. I, I love the I like those movies a lot, but I, I don't think Whedon. I don't know. Well, I mean, look, could you think of two of the like two of the worst directors to put together on a movie would probably be Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon. They're just yeah. so different stylistically, you know, and it, I, I, that's why I think there was a bit of a mess there because you have some of it is Zack Snyder with that dark, gritty kind of graphic novel vibe and some of it is Joss Whedon trying to make make jokes of these characters, you know, and so that mix just didn't didn't really jive. But whose think. decision was that awful cell phone video in the beginning? That was the worst decision I've ever... Uh, who made that decision? I don't know. That, that's a, I think that was a... A Whedon add-on. Um, one thing that we said last week too is that uh, so much of the humor in Infinity War is rooted in character knowledge. Like the, it's it's lines that are given by people who we they're funny to us because we know the characters so well. And when so when Justice League tries to dump you know comedy on Ben Affleck's character, we have no familiarity with that Batman, right? So things that he says aren't they're not funny. Or if Henry Cavill tries to crack a joke now after being uber serious Superman for two movies, it doesn't yeah. fit. It doesn't fit, but like, yeah. but but Infinity War can drop a footloose joke, and it's really funny because of we, we know where Peter Quill was when he left Earth, and we know how Tom Holland is constantly referencing pop culture jokes, and it that line works great for both of those characters because of what we know about them. Can I ask one question when we get into the spoiler talk? I definitely no. want to, uh, if we if we can, I want to get into the the James Cameron aspect of 
Infinity War because I I, no, I I really do because there's a whole scene in that movie that's James Cameron homage and yet he's out there talking uh, smack about the, we'll, we'll get into that but I, I think well, it's an interesting debate. Let's go right into spoilers then and I'm going to say it again for anybody who is maybe watching on the Facebook live and if you're scrolling through and you're on this um, we are about to dive into spoilers for Avengers Infinity War and discuss the film in depth at length so bail now if you have not yet seen it. Christian Bale. There's no better place to start than the end. Um, so I want to ask you guys your opinions. And let's start with Jake. Um, what do you think happens to half of the people who fade away? Are they dead? Are they beamed somewhere else? What, what, what was your takeaway when you saw this happen? It's hard to really imagine that anyone's dead when there are sequels announced for right. certain people. Um, so it was more, for me, it was less killing them off and more removing them from the picture so that we come full circle and Avengers 4 is about our core group of original Avengers. Like we're going back old school to the original guys. It's Thor, it's Cap, it's Iron Man, it's Hulk, it's Black Widow. Uh, you know, Spider-Man's not in it, Black uh, Black Panther's not in it anymore. Yeah, it is uh, interesting I think that the ones left were the core guys. The main guys. I think, I think that's what it's all, I think promotion for uh Avengers 4 is going to focus on that like we're going back to the beginning it's it's going to take the original guys gotta to get bring Hawkeye. down Thanos. Yeah, I got to bring in got to bring in Hawkeye. Someone sent out a gif earlier today that said it's the the opening scene of Avengers 4 and it was that scene of Tag where he's like <laughs> that, was that, that, was that, that was actually me. That was, was it you? Oh my god, that was hilarious. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. Well so hard. My, my one concern that I don't want them to do. I think I think somehow you've got to remove the time stone from the equation. Like we can't, like it was a great usage uh, to, you know, it was a great usage for that vision moment, but you've got to, in Avengers 4, we can't keep solving things and fixing things with the time stone. So I, I whatever, whatever way we, we bring those characters back, because obviously we're going to have to bring them back. I think Gamora's dead, obviously. I think Vision's dead, obviously. I think um, um, uh, so anyone Loki's pre-snap, dead. anyone pre-snap pre-snap's is- dead, but I think post-snap, Gets brought back, um, but uh, wow. but I really hope it's not the time. It can't be the time stone because that's way like to me. That's just going to be lazy writing. Eric, oh, any thoughts on come back. any thoughts on where they might have gone? I mean, that's the question. If we know where they went, it's easy to discern, right. discern where they how they come back. I don't know. I mean, could, do they pull like a Pirates Three? Do they have to go like into like an underworld sort of? Because remember, like this is not necessarily the first movie to kill off a major. Like you know, not that it's in the same vein of it, but remember Pirates Two killed off Jack Sparrow and we had to wait for a year not that everyone anyone super cared but we had to wait for a year to figure out and, and it wasn't like anyone thought well we're gonna get Pirates movies without Jack Sparrow like we all kind of knew he was gonna come back the question was how and it's this I think it's the same thing with um with Spider-Man and Black Panther there's and, uh, there's no way that the reality stone was used and and this was all to uh show a fake reality of them dying is there and then he brings it back to real reality I know it's kind of a dumb question. I don't think so because I just think that, that defeats possible? the purpose of what he wanted. I think the whole I think yeah. he, the whole purpose was to remove half of the people. But how else? How else do you do without I, the time stone? Though I don't understand how else. That's not my it. problem to solve. But <laughs> I, 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 which I'm glad it's not. But I, I just think that if we keep going back to the time stone to solve issues, like you know, you write yourself to a corner, and, they, and they, I mean, it's just, it's just like a whole Deus Ex Machina thing. Like you can't you can't keep going back to that. Because otherwise, it's going to get really late. I mean, at that point, what's the point of having any of these movies moving yeah. forward? Because every resolution could just be solved with the time stone. Um, Eric, what was your most shocking death when you were watching it the first time? 
Um, I would say, you know, I did not, I was very surprised. I did not care at all about the relationship between Scarlet Witch and Vision. Like I, like those two characters just didn't do anything for me. I was probably the most impressive thing about this movie was the fact that they made you care and invest in that relationship as much as you did. And at the end, when they're kind of going through their thing and he talks her into destroying the Mind Stone and killing him, um, I just thought that was such a powerful moment uh, and for, for two characters that really nobody was invested in. I, I, think, I think people were more invested in the Mark in the Hulk Black Widow relationship that they didn't really touch at all in this film. Um, I thought the Ruffalo redirect on this was amazing, by the way. But I think I think that relationship, you know, the moment when 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 uh, Peter Parker saying bye to Stark, I thought that was exceptional. But those two in particular, I thought had the most intense uh, finale, you know. And I mean, I personally think that everybody is dead. Uh, I think it's pretty. It's it's pretty obvious they're going with the Infinity Gauntlet story, which is I was I was at a comic shop the other day and they had Infinity Wars right next to Infinity Gauntlet and I'm like, come on, it is so obvious. Um, right, well, so for I, people it, who might not get that, tell me what that means. Like, what what might that uh, predict for Avengers Four? Well, Infinity Gauntlet is 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 kind of the continuation of that storyline. Thanos has all the stones. And so they they have to go get them from Thanos. And what happens is Nebula actually goes and confronts Thanos and gets the gauntlet away from him. Mm-hmm. And then they need to go and fight Nebula. So I think they're gonna they're gonna change it up because there are a bunch of characters like Silver Surfer uh, and um, the other guy from Guardians uh, that they haven't showed yet. That uh, Warlock, Warlock, Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock. He's like he's like the guy that's in charge of that team. So they're gonna change up the characters and all that. But I have a feeling that they're gonna keep that that premise intact. Where because you can't have another whole film where Thanos is the guy they're trying to fight. Right. So I think that Thanos may only be the villain in Avengers Four for not very long. I think Nebula could get that away from him, and Nebula could become the the big the big bad that where they're trying to fight because they need to have another antagonist. We can't have a whole other film again with Thanos. So look for that storyline. If you're not familiar with Infinity Gauntlet, I would go get it and buy it. Don't think that they're going to adapt that all the way because they never do adapt them page for page. But look for that to be the inspiration for what we're going to see in uh, part four. See, so to me, the most shocking death, and this kind of goes into a question I have for you guys, was Gamora. And I, I that one, because to me, that's the most weighted one emotionally for me. I mean, I think the Peter Parker one was the hardest one to watch because of the way he held on to his life for as long as he did. Going up to Stark and then laying down, I don't want to go. That was hor- horrifying to watch. And you know what's what bothers me so much is people will say, "Okay, oh, they're not really dead." To me, as I'm sitting in a movie theater watching it and erasing, trying to erase the idea that I know there's sequels coming and there's mm-hmm. all these things coming, it you're still watching these people die. Um, you're still watching Spider-Man die. You're still watching famous characters die. It's it, it's still heartbreaking. I mean, regardless if they come back or not, um, I will say that when the movie ended. I don't know enough about the comic history of what happens with the Infinity Stones and the Gauntlet to know how things are brought back. But my, my first thought was, okay, Shuri's going to become Black Panther. They're going to bring in Ironheart for, or, uh, for the, the female Iron Man. Uh, and, I don't know. Sorry. He, he didn't die. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the different characters that, that I could possibly oh, – oh, no, Miles Morales to become mm-hmm. Spider-Man. So I was thinking of different routes of how the characters could live on in their sequels if it was possible. But 
considering the fact that you're saying they might come back, it still weighted me as as a, as a viewer to watch those characters die. But the- it's not. Do you, do you know the kind of riots they would have in this country and around the world if yeah. Chadwick Boseman and Black Panther did <laughs> not come know. back for a sequel? Hey, they, people they would, love like, Shuri, we would- man. People love Shuri. They would. I, yes. I, that would be big. I, honestly, she gets a bigger crowd reaction than he does when I watch it in theaters. People love her. And Denai Guerrero. She gets well, a big reaction, And too. truthfully, that's why that was the death that surprised me the most. Is because Panther So you started one. to see everybody fading, right? And, it was, and everybody was almost paired with someone significant. Bucky fades away, and he calls out to Steve. And when Peter Parker dies, he you know, is talking to Tony. They have his counterpart. So when Okoye is coming around the corner, or Black Panther's coming around the corner telling her to get up, this is not how we die. I was like, oh, here she goes. And then she yeah. didn't, and he did, and I was like, oh, you guys aren't messing around. This is really serious. Was his the only one off camera? If you look at all the deaths, I think you only see his arm because everyone else you actually see physically see die. Sebastian Stan, you see Falcon. Star-Lord, you see all of them fade. Panther, yeah. though, it's just the arm. Like, he comes around the corner, you see his body, you see him say that line you just said, and then the Watch arm fades. You never see his face fade. Why? Yeah. I don't know. Camera decision, I guess. Camera choice. Also, He's why gone. does why gone. does Thanos know Tony Stark's name? That's the other question we were asking today. That's another good one. I don't really know the answer to that one. Well, I think because I think because Stark is the one that screwed up his whole plan in the first Avengers. You know, I mean, the Chitari were sent by him. And so, you know, obviously he's going to know the, the, the Dimwad who defeated the Chitari and, and threw the thing back into space. I mean, Stark was the one that flew up yeah. into the hole at the end of the first Avengers to kind of get it out of there. So I would imagine that he would know who Tony Stark is. You know, he is the troublemaker. He is the head of the Avengers and the Avengers are the ones that defeated him the first mm-hmm. time around. Jake, who shocked you? I think it's got to be the Black Panther, not not just because of the pairings necessarily, like like you mentioned, which is a great point, but just coming off of the success of mm. Black Panther one. And granted, like I'm sure, obviously, all this was filmed and shot and written in, in post production by the time that Black, the original first Black Panther blew up. But yeah, it was sort of that note of saying like, yeah, we don't really care about the fact that we have sequels coming out, and we don't care if you just gave us one point three billion dollars. Like he's dead now. Yeah. Doesn't that suck? And it was just sort of a, uh, you know, I think one of my major complaints for the past 18 Marvel movies, if I had one, was just like, it never really felt like there were any stakes. Like at the end, as exciting as as, a, as the action was, it wasn't like I went into a Marvel, you know, a, a Thor movie or an Iron Man movie or a Cap movie, genuinely questioning whether or not they were going to make it out on the other side. And, and that's why this one I think is my favorite because when there's an action sequence, you sort of have that, 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 that stomach churning moment where you're like, you know, you each hit landed harder because you knew that they might not get back up. And uh, so I think that, yeah, I think that that one, and also uh, I think Loki, just because yeah. he he was finally trying to have some kind of a redemptive moment, mm. and right when he looks like he's going to have one, he gets killed for it, and it's, uh, you know, like he, he had such great moments in Ragnarok, contrary to Kevin McCarthy's opinion, but... <laughs> well, uh, yeah. but- but look at look at that arc. I mean, what a fabulous arc. Yeah, was. great arc. You know, the fact that yeah. he ends... First of all, they have him repeat the most famous line that was yes. repeated, we have a Hulk. That was great. And then he's, he sacrifices himself for his brother. I mean, and, and these two were so at odds. And just what an arc, I think, for his character uh, to come off of Ragnarok and to open up the movie sort of just sacrificing himself so his brother his brother can survive. I, I just thought that was amazing. Well, yeah, the, opening, about- the opening set an incredible tone for the film. It really did. That was like, that was like okay, here's what this movie's going to be. I mean, that was literally the most perfect opening. because it just. Um, 
Eric Eisenberg, who writes for our site, brought up a really good point that I never even thought of. I guess I just automatically assumed that the Avengers 4 is going to pick up pretty quickly after this one ends. But he said, what if it doesn't? What if the, you know, the Avengers 4 picks up like a year or two later and the, the heroes have really had to live with this reality of half of the universe being wiped out? Like what kind of repercussions or ramifications could come from that? I almost want to see that. I don't want it to be resolved too quickly for them. I want to see them really dealing with the fact that they lost half of their known universe. And Do I we think know it, if Ant-Man takes place post- Ant-Man is before Infin- Infinity War. It's uh, between that's a bummer. Civil I, I would have liked to have and- seen... Uh- I would have liked to have seen Ant-Man take place with them dealing with the fact that half the world was gone. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up, Jake, because both Ant-Man and Captain Marvel take place, pri- uh, take place don't take place after this, right? So Captain Marvel's in the 90s, Ant-Man is after Civil War. Right. So, so we're not going to get any resolution until this one. But I guess my question is, since they filmed Avengers Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2 at the same time, right? Is, am I, is, that's right, right? They filmed them and both. At the, they filmed most of it. They'll probably have to go back and shoot some stuff for four, but I right. think they filmed most of it at the same time. So when I'm interviewing Dave Batista and he's telling me that he didn't know if he was filming Part 4 or Part 3, right? what does that, what does that tell you? Uh, well, that's interesting because here are some other things that have happened. Sebastian Stan has talked about filming a scene, a giant scene with everybody, and right. he name-dropped Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer, right. um, who were in the scene with him. Uh, just today, we watched a clip of Zoe Saldana talking about being in a scene with everybody, um, and uh, like a big, massive battle scene. So right. you hear them saying these things, and, and I just don't know if because they're doing these interviews before Infinity War came out, if a lot of it's just misdirect, and they're messing with whoever they were interviewing, because they know they can't talk about anything. And obviously, Saldana know, right? She can't can't reveal much of anything in any kind of interview. So I don't know. I have no clue, really. But if but if, if, if we're right on the fact that, that everyone's dead post-snap, and I'm sorry, everyone's alive post-snap and dead pre-snap, is Gamora 100% dead? I think so. 100%? I think so. I think yeah, so, too. I think she's Eric? I don't know. I, I, I think we, I don't know. I, I don't, I mean, when the time stone exists, like he was saying, I... You know, anything could be could be put back. So uh, I don't I don't necessarily believe that anybody is dead out, right though. now. I'd be so and, mad. And, I'd be and so just mad. the way that Disney just the way that Disney messed around with the marketing of this movie and put so many alternate shots in their trailers, right. I wouldn't listen to anything that anyone says about <laughs> any giant scenes that they were in with whoever because I think there's so much misdirect going on right now and everyone is involved in it that you just have to take everything with a grain of salt. So these were the two things we wrote a piece about this is that the Homecoming sequel, Spider-Man Homecoming, comes comes out July of 2019. And I have no clue how Sony is expected to market that movie when their main character is currently dead. Because that's, they, that's an interesting point. Yeah. When does like this what, come out? When does part two come out of this? May May of 2019. Oh, so it yeah. is before it is before Spidey. Yeah, it's before Spidey. Yeah, so how, yeah, how do you build a campaign around that when Spider-Man doesn't is, is supposed to... So I went back and looked, and Ant-Man, which is July of this year, dropped its first trailer in January. So you would assume that a Spider-Man sequel would have to start revealing something in January before Infinity War. I mean, if you're Sony, do you not really care about spoiling things for Disney? They or have to say, play. You know what, they have like- to play. I think they have to play ball. No, Fike. Maybe, Fike, maybe. Fike I mean, you can't promote a you can't promote a two hundred million dollar blockbuster in two months. You can't <laughs> say we're not going to drop a trailer until two months before. 
Yeah. We have to make people aware that it's coming out. Is it possible I mean, unless, that we find out in a teaser at the end of Marvel or Ant Man, um, Captain Marvel or Ant Man and the Wasp, what the outcome is of this? You think they? No. Do, you think, do you think the reveal they, of they this wouldn't comes leave that up to a post? Oh, you mean like if? Okay, so let's talk about the end credit sequence. So the end credit sequence is a reference to Captain Marvel. Uh, Nick Fury, as he's fading away, sends a distress signal. Uh, the Captain Marvel signal shows up. So we know that in March of 2019. When Brie Larson does the Captain Marvel movie, we'll it'll explain where she's been uh, and why she had to necessarily go away. I think in that movie also, what we're going to learn is why young Nick Fury in the 90s felt the need to put together an Avengers initiative in the first place, right? Because like, if it's if the Captain Marvel movie takes place before the first Iron Man, and when he goes to Stark to form something, he's already met with that panel of people who we met in the first Avengers movie. Where they were like, you had to, you came to us with the idea to put these superheroes together in the first place. So he must fear something. He must anticipate something coming. So yeah, a lot of answers are going to come. Now, at the end of Captain Marvel, could she arrive um, and answer that distress signal at the end of the movie? And maybe explain a little bit of something? Either way, yeah. Marvel has it planned out. <laughs> I trust in their vision. They know what they're doing. But it just creates some really interesting wrinkles for the other movies that are going into effect. Because also... If Guardians 3 has a release date, that's going to go into production at some point before um, before Avengers 4 screens. So you're going to start getting like casting notices and you're going to hear about things that they're shooting. So from well, a business I mean, Homecoming 2. Homecoming 2 goes into production this summer and I'm sure some of us will be invited to that set. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's going to be interesting, you know? And yeah. the only thing I could think of is that it's going to take place at least partly during this time when he's not there. And so they could, if it does happen, then they could tease it in a way where the people around him are reacting to the fact that he's not there. Uh, and maybe they do introduce Miles Morales. Maybe yeah. somebody does pop up and See. take over the Spider-Man mantle yeah. because Spider-Man isn't around anymore. And maybe that is part of that movie. That's That'd it. be awesome. See, I'm telling you, that's That'd be it. awesome. Because like, when the movie ended, the first thing that popped in my mind was Miles Morales is going to be the next Spider-Man. And that, Eric, you just hit the nail on the head. I think that's exactly what they're going to do. I think they're gonna move, the movie's going to be like half the film... Tom Holland won't even be in it. It's going to be like, they're going to have to like, I don't know. That's such an interesting. Well, and I'll tell you one part of that. Why too? So Miles Morales essentially gets name dropped in homecoming, right? When Donald Glover's character says he has a nephew and, and you know, from the comics that, that his character in homecoming is, is, is the uncle of Miles Morales. He doesn't mention Miles by name, but why do you cast Donald Glover in that role? Unless you plan to use him later. Because he essentially had two scenes in Homecoming. He had the scene underneath the bridge where he's selling the weapons, and then he had the scene in the garage where he essentially tells Spidey to go to the ferry. It's a waste of Donald Glover unless you're planning to use him later. My buddy, uh, my buddy Zilla, who uh, works for Global Grind, had an interesting point about at the end of Black Panther. That little kid who walks up to Chadwick, could that be Miles Morales? Now, that doesn't make sense considering they're not in New York. Yeah, but it's maybe, that, maybe that kid was visiting family or something like that. I'm telling you, there, there has to be some grand plan here because yeah you're right how the heck do you promote homecoming 2 with the idea of him being dead without spoiling what's going to happen in the next avengers movie i think you know, miles morales is the next spider-man eric i want to ask you a question too you were on the homecoming set with me right and yep. when they they said they wanted to do a movie for every year of his high school right yeah it was going to be three three movies but um, the math is wrong if if civil war he was a sophomore right like right after civil war mm -hmm. when he came back for homecoming and then if this movie takes place two years after Civil War, then he'd be a senior. Like when he's on that bus trip, he's a senior essentially. I, this is super so it could nerdy be, MCU it, stuff. It, but. It, it could be an incredible misdirect where Tom Holland is cast out 
And oh. maybe Miles Morales is the new Spider-Man. See, the, my only issue with that is that Sony has a, an animated Spider-Man coming out in December with Miles Morales. So either that is intentional yeah. because they want to build fandom for Miles Morales so that way they introduce him in a live action movie. But I, I think it would be cool if Miles Morales was Spider-Man for the entirety of like, well, Holland's gone. We have this new guy as Spider-Man. Yeah. And then in the third one, you know, if they revive Spider, like Holland comes back and you have the two of them in it, that would be kind of a, a neat a neat trilogy. Wait, don't we have a, uh, let, me ask, let, me, let me ask you something about timelines here. Don't we, uh, so Civil War took place at a, a certain time and then Infinity War is what, two years later? Is that right? Two years later, yeah. Okay, how many, how much time passed between Civil War and Homecoming? Like weeks. Like essentially okay. Tony brought him home from Berlin. Why, why couldn't Homecoming yeah. 2 be a year before Infinity War? Yeah, it could. They it could. could set it whenever they want. Yeah, it could. That's Which is what I've heard they're doing with Guardians too. Like I've heard, someone told me that that they read that the third Guardians is going to take place before Infinity War, and it'll give them an excuse to be able to keep Gamora in it. Yeah, oh, if you I if mean, you yeah, do the you if you do the junior year of Spidey, you can keep Holland in it prior to the events of Infinity War. Yeah, and then that works. And then yes. and then Captain Marvel is '90s, so that's fine. And then. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp is right after Civil War, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. fine. So then there, there's your solution. Unless, unless, they, unless they go the Miles Morales route. The only, the only thing that's, that prevents me from going full bore on that one is if Feige, and again, Feige could just be doing misdirect. Feige has said that, the, that Avengers, Infinity War, and Part 4 are going to directly influence what Spider-Man is dealing with in his sequel. He said Avengers 4 is going to directly influence it, but he could be blown How is that possible? For all we know. Because what what he's dealing with is death. <laughs> that could be. I mean, it's being dead. That okay, could so, be. So if Spidey's actually dead, yeah. is there any chance Shuri becomes Black Panther and they and they cast out Bozeman? And here, let me let me say no. one thing. When you watch no. Black Panther, let me, let me, when you watch Black Panther, think about this for one second. When you watch Black Panther, he's not the star of the movie. It's everybody else surrounding him. I mean, he's the he's the core, he holds things together. But when you walk out of Black Panther, Michael B. Jordan's talked about more. Letitia Wright's talked about more. So is Denai Guerrera. And they get the loudest cheers, in my opinion. Chadwick yeah, but that, I mean, that's something that you do when people start getting tired of Chadwick Boseman and the character. Like, right now, you, there still is a massive amount of excitement for him in that role. Like, once, once excitement starts waning, then you do that to kind of, like, <laughs> jumpstart the series again. All right, last spoiler question. And we got to move on to unpopular opinion. Poor Jake. So sick. Dealing with all this. I love it. Um, why did Doctor Strange give up the Time Stone? Because that was part of the uh, the one outcome that he saw. All right. So that's it pretty had, obvious. I, like, he's playing a long game I, here, essentially. That, that, that's what I took it as. That's, that to me, that other, well, otherwise, it's, just, you, it's a super questionable decision. But that's to me, that's he, whatever the outcome, the one outcome he saw, it only worked if it started with Thanos having all the Infinity Stones. Going off what Jake is saying, do you think that giving up the Time Stone, he knew eventually that it would... I, I think what's going to happen in, in Avengers 4 is that Cap and Iron Man are going to die when they sacrifice themselves for a greater cause. I think that's going to be the end of their particular... Uh, the Evans and Downey Jr. aspect of that story. Um, do you think that that's what Doctor Strange knows? Like, Do you think that he knows that he needed to save Downey because Downey was going to ultimately save everybody else. Like ultimately he'll sacrifice himself or right. say, well, listen, I think, I think it's going to come back around to the soul stone 
that in order to acquire the power of the soul stone, someone has to be sacrificed, Ooh. a la Gamora. And I just want to, you know what I want to see? I want a scene where Cap and Bucky end up on that mountaintop and Cap sees Red Skull for one more time. And he's like, dude, I was wondering where you were. Where have you been? That, 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 that moment, that was the most random moment of the movie where like Red I loved Skull's it. just hanging there I being like, that. yeah, this is where I was banished to. Like, how, how do you like my stupid job now? But it was <laughs> the worst job Hugo in the world. Weaving. What happened to Hugo Weaving? That was so Hugo he, weird. I read that he didn't like being, one, he didn't like the final product of Captain America. And also I heard that he really hated the makeup process. So I could easily, especially for just, I'm assuming what was a one or two day shoot, I could easily see him just saying, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. He, he swore he would never do it again. Especially when they found out where they put his character. Oh no, yeah, this is where you gotta get you're just stuck here trying to convince people to sacrifice themselves. <laughs> I only had it's one cool. thing I didn't like about Infinity War. And I mentioned Oh yeah, do this because this is a good one. This is a good one. I did not like Peter Dinklage. And I and I, I think he's a great actor. I love him in the Game of Thrones films, uh shows, but I do not I thought everything he delivered, his dialogue, felt very Shakespearean and over the top and ridiculous. Um I don't know that that, but luckily it wasn't a big enough part. Luckily that scene enough was still great with Thor doing what he had to do to get the to get the um, his new weapon and everything. But I don't know. What did you guys think of Dinklage? I didn't love Dinklage in the movie. I agree with you. It took me out. It took me out of the movie because it was like, oh, there's Peter Dinklage and look, he's playing the giant. Isn't that kind of cool? And he's sort of doing his Game of Thrones voice, which is kind of weird. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. It, it like I I don't like stunt casting that makes me stop thinking yeah. about the movie and makes me realize, Oh look, there's that celebrity. Cause yeah. I mean, they, they cast Carrie Coon as one of the uh, children of Thanos. And so I didn't remember, I didn't even remember. I love Carrie Coon. I didn't even remember that. So after the movie was over, I thought, Oh, I should have stopped and listened for her. Uh, that's what you do with casting. If it, if it makes you pause and think, Oh, I know that celebrity. In fact, when he appeared on screen, everyone in my theater laughed. And I was like, that's, that's not quite the reaction that you want. I don't mean, I think it was like in a making, but I think it was just like, as like, Oh, look, it's Peter Dinklage. And I just don't like that. I don't like that moment. Yeah. yeah, I would, I would agree to a certain extent. You know, I kind of, I, I thought it was amusing that, you know, they they call them dwarves, but they're giants. And I like the whole idea of this place that creates these Thanos beating weapons. I thought that was kind of cool. And I liked how it all shaped up. But I would agree, I guess, that you know, Dinklage does kind of take you out of it a little bit. But by that point, I'm I'm really invested in the movie, and I wasn't as, I guess, I wasn't as thrown by it. I was more invested in sort of them getting this weapon and and giving Thor something actually to play with. And I love that how when Groot sacrifices his arm, for oh. it was just it was really cool. That was oh. a cool. It's so I, I love that whole little uh, side adventure with Thor and, and Rocket and Gru. I, I love that little side adventure that they went on. Is there a better yeah. moment than Thor's entrance into Wakanda? I think it's the oh, best oh, moment yeah. his character's yeah. ever had. I mean, <laughs> that, that's, that, that's Thor's best moment ever. I mean, it, it is such a great... I, I would argue it's the best moment in the film. Like Just, just like sheer excitement. Like, I honestly thought they were going to start playing Immigrant Song. <laughs> yeah, I'm, glad, great. I'm glad they did it. It's only one song. No, that would have been great, dude. You don't like Ragnarok. You don't get a vote. I don't like Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, there were yeah. two applause breaks in my public screening I went to on Saturday. The first was when Cap steps out of the shadows because the Avengers yeah. theme song starts to really drive up, and people started yeah. applauding. And then the other one was when when Thor arrives arrives in uh, Wakanda. It's such a badass scene. Full so on badass. Thor, man. Full on like eyes, everything. That was such a oh. great moment, and. Thor actually has, in my opinion, the best arc in the whole film. And that whole sequence with him and Rocket, when he's like breaking down like everything he's lost, 
Yeah. It was. It's powerful. That's a powerful scene. And like, I feel like Rocket kind of gained a lot of humanity in this film as well. And it was. It, yeah. Rocket's a great character, and I think Cooper and Sean Gunn do such great work with that character in general. But I, I Thor. I mean, besides Thanos, who I think is it is Thanos' movie. I think Thor has the biggest development, in my opinion. He's so great in the film. All right. I liked it. I kind of liked it more as a Guardians movie than an Avengers movie. I liked all the stuff that the that was with the Guardians more than uh, more than the Avengers. I thought they did a good job. And if if James Gunn wrote all, I, I heard that he may have wrote all their dialogue. Um, it yeah. just felt very much like a Guardians film. Yes. Heard, and, and with them dealing with loss, I heard he I heard, chose the entrance song too for them. Right? Did you, I read that somewhere on Twitter. Yeah, that, that, that I could see that. That song. Oh, I love it, Rubber Band Man. If you look yeah. into the credits of the movie, there's only one song in the whole film. Yeah. And then there's like a, a and then and then and then a bit of a bit of a theme uh, from the soundtrack. Black Panther. Black theme. Panther. That's it. But everything else, it's all Sylvester. Well, Sylvester using his theme and then bringing in other themes as well. But. I also, that was a cool choice. Credit to the Russos. It, it, he, they juggle so many tones that, like, if, if you love Doctor Strange, you got, like, a portion yeah. of a Doctor Strange movie. If you, I love Spider Man so much, and I think I felt like I got a, not a sequel to Homecoming, but I got more time with Spider Man, and it was just a, so much of it's so great. So Strange had a big yeah. role. Strange was Huge. awesome. Huge. Was... His powers are great. Um, I want to see. Yeah, but, yeah but you know what? Wait, one really fast. You know who had nothing to do, though? Black Widow. Like, nothing mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. And you really, you want Black Widow to have her own movie. Well, then what are you, are you saving every kind of arc for her for that movie? Because, like, talk about a character that they just kind of, I feel like they waste. Uh, and that they haven't done really much with it since Winter Soldier. Uh, and it was it was kind of, I wish they would have done more with her and Banner. Um, and maybe we'll see more of that in Avengers 4. Because Banner, the way they flipped him in a way that we've never seen the Hulk before, where the mm-hmm. Hulk won't come out, I thought was genius. Oh. But, you know, that relationship I would have liked to Great. see evolve a little. That scene is definitely a punch-in scene, right? Where Mark yeah. Ruffalo says, Hulk, we got to figure out what we're doing here. Like, they shot that months later. And they just said, I think that they said, we need something that teases more character development for Hulk. So let's have Mark Ruffalo shoot a scene where he's in the armor and have him just talk to Hulk and say, Hulk, we got to figure this out between the two of us. And that to me just felt like a te- like it even looked out of place. It didn't look like it matched up with all the other shots of him in the armor. It felt like something they reshot later as a way that we oh we need a scene where he's talking about this because they're gonna develop that personality much later. Because if you think about it, in Ragnarok, um, Hulk is dominant and Bruce Banner's in the background mentally. In this one now, Banner's out and Hulk doesn't want to come out. And I bet you by the third one, they just figure out a way for the two of them to coexist seamlessly which is kind of where hulk is going i think with the evolution of that um i gotta jump to unpopular opinion uh unpopular opinion is a popular popular unpopular segment uh that we do on the show where in our text chain uh somebody says something so ridiculous uh and the other people agree with it so wholeheartedly that we have to bring it to the show uh and this time it's kevin talking about ant-man uh and how angry it makes jake so kevin why don't you explain it really fast and mainly i want each of you to set it up and then i want eric to break the tie yeah, I'm curious where Eric stands. I think Ant-Man's incredible. And, I, and listen, I think a lot of people were wanting the Edgar Wright version of that film, but I thought what Peyton did direction-wise was amazing. I thought that that movie had incredible tone as well with shift in comedy and drama. Um, but I don't know. I, I For me, the idea of the macro unit on that movie, just what they did with the special effects, um, having just the way they shot every one of those scenes with uh, him in the bathtub or, or that Thomas the Tank Engine uh, sequence, which felt so massive, but yet was so not, was nothing. Uh, I, I just thought that everything about that, Michael Pena's reverse, like their storytelling, 
I don't know. To me, it's it's a very, very well-made film, but it isn't a very highly underrated Marvel movie. And I think that and Doctor Strange, to me, are in my top ten. But Ant-Man, I've just, I've so universally disliked. I don't understand why. I, I, I don't think it's universally disliked. I, I, I'd argue like that, I, I think most people accept it, if not, you know, if not like it. I mean, it's pretty well-reviewed, I thought. But Jake, you put it at the bottom of your rankings. You hate yeah, it. I, I would, I, I would put it in the in the bottom. I think I put it bottom three. Um, for me, I, I, th- yeah, I do actively really dislike it. Um, I don't know if I'd say I hate any of the Marvel movies, but I actively dislike it. Uh, I think it's the best Ant Man movie that we would have gotten in the '90s. I think the action is very bland and generic save for the bit that everything's small like it's super like people in my opinion forgive the 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 genericness of the action because of the thomas the tank engine thing oh isn't that funny because like it's 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 big but it's small like it's just like like it's it's generic action but on a smaller scale and that just and i i just thought this the story was so bland and the, and and they kept promoting it as like oh it's gonna be this great heist and to me it was just the most generic heist eight like nineties heist movie I've ever seen. Um, I I thought the charm of Paul Rudd who I love so much was incredibly muted. What? Uh, I did not get the Paul Rudd that I that I love so much. I I have more fun seeing Paul Rudd talk about Ant Man movies than seeing him in Ant Man movies. <laughs> I it's it's one of the probably three or four. Uh, Marvel movies that in my rewatch, I and I rewatched every second of it, but I had to generally kind of stop myself and go like, do I really? Do I have to get all the way through this? Do I? Do I have to? I well, just, that Iron Man two, uh, I just I you know I just really had a tough time getting right. through. Let I, I, I love you, Jay, but let, I disagree with everything you just said. I literally disagree with every word you just said. I, Paul Rudd being muted, no, he's freaking hilarious in that movie. Michael Douglas is amazing. Evangeline Lilly is so great. Uh, I thought that their chemistry was fantastic. The action was awesome on its surface. Look, and then the nurse the, disagrees with you. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. The bit of it She's being small you. was a <laughs> addition to it. The action was amazing before the, the, the small bit came in. Like when they were in that Thomas Tank Engine shot, the action was still incredible watching him fight Corey, Corey's character. Was it uh, Yellow Jacket? Yellow Jacket. Um, I, I, I don't know. I... To, I, to quote the great Luke Skywalker, it's amazing. Everything you just said was wrong. All right, wait a second. Eric Davis, Ant-Man, yes. top 10 or bottom nine for you? Wow, top 10 or bottom nine. I would say maybe it would fall like right around right around 10-ish, okay. I would say. I'm like in Damn it, I'm Eric, in the, that does nothing for us. I'm in the middle I'm in the middle of both of your arguments. I do I do agree that it's a bit of a muted film and it's not maybe as exciting or even some of the humor doesn't land as well as it does in other movies. Uh, and there were periods of Ant-Man where I was kind of like, uh, is this gonna, where is this going? How am I feeling right now? I don't know. But I do, what I love about Ant-Man is that it's a, it's a Marvel hero who's a dad. Uh, and as a dad, I was waiting a very long time for them to have uh, a hero who had a little girl at home. And, and much of sort of what he was looking for was, uh, the adoration of his child, you know, and I think that that is something that didn't exist at all in the MCU up until Ant-Man. I also like the the action is very inventive. And you know when you're watching an Ant-Man movie, you're going to see action like you, like you see in no other film, you know. And so I definitely think Ant-Man is a good start, not a great start, a good start, but I do feel that there's so much potential 
And some of the early stuff I'm seeing from Ant-Man and the Wasp, it seems like they're upping the inventiveness. They're upping the action. They're saying, okay, we have enough to know that this character is valuable to us. And they have Paul Rudd. I actually really do like Paul Rudd in the movie. I do think Michael Pena is the scene stealer of the whole franchise. I'm glad he's coming yep. back. So I am with you in terms of it being maybe a lesser entertaining uh, you know, debut. Uh, definitely Black Panther blows the debut away. Thor, I hate his debut. I would put Thor be- beneath Really? Oh, I, I love not Thor a big, one. Not a big yeah. fan of the Thor one. Mm. Um, and Iron Man 2 didn't like that either. So I do think that it's, uh, it's maybe a lesser impactful debut, but it's got a lot of potential. Love Paul Rudd, love Michael Pena, love Evangeline Lilly. Can't wait to see what Michelle Pfeiffer adds. Love mm. Michael Douglas, love the storyline, love the inventive action. So I'm on board for it, and um, and I'm I'm gonna go rewatch Ant Man though, and 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 see see if it holds up. Everything that Eric just said, all it needs now is that gif of uh, Star Lord falling back and going boom with the flick off, and then falling <laughs> into. By the way, Ant Man is number eight, a uh, number eight on my list, and I'm not saying like my top five. I mean, just to give some clarity here, I'm not saying Ant Man is by far the best MCU film. My top five are Infinity War, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Iron Man 1, and Guardians 1. Um, Ant-Man is down at number eight, followed by Doctor Strange. And then I actually really love Thor 1. I think it's the best Thor. I know that's crazy. Um, but I yeah. think what Kenneth Branagh did with that movie was awesome. I, I oh, yeah. You guys are all... Eric, you guys are Eric all, by the uh, way, Ragnarok. he hates Ragnarok. I don't hate Ragnarok. You are out of your... First of all, Ragnarok was my favorite movie of last I year. Know. The movie is so <laughs> yeah, awesome. Start, starting to regret that Ant-Man collusion, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> Eric, I, he thinks Ragnarok's not funny. He doesn't see Ragnarok. the humor in it. Ragnarok is amazing. Ragnarok is amazing. Ragnarok. It's a very, it's very spoofish kind of comedy, though. It's like if you like, if you know Taika, Taika's very dry. He's very spoofish. I feel like he kind of, you know, harkens back to like Airplane and Caddyshack and that kind of humor. Not as sort of in your face and physical, but very dry, spoofish kind of humor, like the original British Office, like stuff like that. I, I I am a sucker for that humor, and seeing it within a superhero movie, I was just on cloud nine. Watching Kevin, did you, did you see uh, what we do in the shadows, Kevin? No, I did not. Oh, oh you've got to watch. Kevin needs a Taika. One of the last like yeah. funniest movies of the last ten years, I'd thing. argue. I admire what Taika did with that movie, and uh, and my criticisms in that film, I stand by them. I didn't hate Ragnarok. I gave it a three and a half out of five. I'm still I still gave it a positive review. Um, everything on Hulk and Goldblum's planet was amazing. But the movie forgets that everything's happening on Asgard, and you just oh oh wait, there's his half sister on Asgard. Let's go back and go to that scene. I completely forgot that was even going on. I thought that Blanchett's villain, while she played it well, it was completely. I I, I thought there was no threat whatsoever in my mind that she was. I don't know. I just didn't feel her threat as a villain. Also, the movie thinks it's way funnier than it is. It's very pretentious, in my personal no. opinion. I it's think very that, funny. I think that it thinks it's funnier. <laughs> to me, Ragnarok... People, I think people say that about me a lot. Ragnarok <laughs> is basically what Last Jedi the tag was. Tagline of this podcast. Ragnarok, Ragnarok, Not nearly as fun as it thinks it is. Pretty pretentious. To me, Ragnarok is exactly what Last Jedi was. La- Ragnarok and Last Jedi both know their movies, and they both are... They're, Great. To me, they think they're funnier than they are. No, 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 dude. When when he when Luke throws that that saber over his shoulder, I was done. I mean, that was one of the worst Star Wars scenes ever. And I don't, I don't like, I don't dislike Jedi. I don't hate it, but it's not good. It's it's very middle of the road. And Jake, you're with me on this. I know you with me on this. The, the throwing the saber over the shoulder. Oh, I was hate that. Oh, I hate that. Awful. Dude, I I complained about that this morning. It's a lot I, more movie cheapens, after that though. 
It a cheapens lot of one that. of the greatest moments in the history of Star Wars. It I cheapens agree. that final shot of Episode Seven, <laughs> which gives me chills to think about. Yeah. And it's uh, as if Ryan Johnson is spitting in the faces of J.J. Abrams. Jake, you uh, and I just producer say, Gabe is shouting crazy. us to get back on topic, please. Listen, Gabe. <laughs> With an exclamation point. Wait, where, where, where is We're talking Eric? about a movie that came out six months ago. People care about this. Eric, where are you with Jedi real fast? Do you like that? I, I love, I, you know what? I, I was lukewarm with it the first time I watched it. I've watched it twice. I've watched it twice since, and yes. I, I love it. I, it I, I really love it. I The one issue I have, the literally the one issue I have with that movie is when they write off Poe Dameron, when they're just like, they're like, yeah, I kind of like him. And it's like, this guy just destroyed half your fleet. Yeah. What do you mean you just kind of like him? Yeah. That's the only moment that I, I have reservations on because I feel like he should have caused a bit more damage within that internal group than, than it seems like he did. But I love it. I think the spectacle, I think the story decisions... I like Luke throwing the lightsaber away. I like seeing how tortured he's been with the Force since since we last saw him. And I think it's cool. I think you're living in the fantasy of what you want to see. And I like. I also love the movie because of that. Because it, it reversed it and said, we're not going to give you what you want to see. You know, you got to let heroes die. That's the biggest problem with the film. And I, and I know we had to move on. Let me say one more thing before we move on. <laughs> Avengers Infinity War dealt with expectations perfectly. So Last Jedi did it completely wrong. Jedi, to me, knew what your expectations were, just like you just said. And I think Jedi knew it was a movie. The people in the movie knew it was a movie. And they knew what they were doing to the audience. Avengers Infinity War had expectations of certain deaths and certain things, but it dealt with those expectations perfectly. It went around them, but it didn't make, it didn't, it didn't make itself aware that there were expectations of certain things that were going to happen. So to me, Jedi was all about misdirecting the audience and messing with what you thought was going to happen. And to me, that was the Which problem. I love. Uh, it, Last Jedi, so Last Jedi is the In-N-Out value meal where you know you're going to get. Oh, no, 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 no. Infinity War is the In-N-Out value meal where you know you're going to get. It's going to be decent. It's going to be okay. And then Last Jedi is the seven-course omakase where you just sit down and you're like, you know what? Mm. Put whatever you have in front of me. Put your best stuff in front of me, and I know it's going to taste great. Wait, why are we bearing, we're bearing the lead here? Eric, did you just say that Infinity War is lesser than Last Jedi? I love Last Jedi. I'm sorry. I just think it's a brilliant movie. Whoa. I really do. Eric. That's bold. That's bold. That's I another podcast. Back on the podcast, man. That's another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I want to see Infinity War another couple of times, just like I gave I gave Last Jedi like three. I see it four times now. Actually, Last Jedi. So it improves on each viewing. It improves. We have a game. Um, we play a game every week. It's we called Hashtag Blend. Jake is coming up with a theme song we for us uh, at the moment, and this one was the heart. Well, I don't know if it was the hardest one. We've had some really hard ones. I think I say that every week. This is the hardest one that we've ever done, but this one really is. Difficult. We are playing hashtag cruise blend <laughs> and we are debating the best performances by Tom Cruise and Gabe. People at home can't see that, that we're all watching each other dance. Dance on the and right sing. Now. People on the Facebook page are able to see what we're doing. Um, producer Gabe puts us in a specific order. Uh, I'm not even going to ask Gabe if we have the same pick. Yeah, I don't want to know anymore because it ruined it last time. It ruined it last time. It kind of took the fun out of it. So I get to go first, according to Gabe. He's put us in an order. Um, and bet. Gabe, are they guessing mine or am I just giving it? We're not guessing because we're way out of time. Uh, can everybody get like one guess? No, he says I can't. No. All right. We can't. All right. I'm for, I go first. We could have guessed by now. Uh, Eric. Oh, I'm going to show Eric how it's done. All right. This is what we're going to do. I go first and then Eric has to go next. Uh, I picked, okay. God, it was really hard. This was hard. Um, I went with Rain Man. 
I thought Rain Man was the first time. Let me go back. I let me check his IMDb. Uh, so Cruz, I mean, obviously Cruz is amazing, and I, I picked Cruz partially because I knew we were having Eric on, and I know that he appreciates <laughs> Cruz as much Big as Cruise. we do, and he gets, you know, he gets some flack for the type of uh, personality that he is, um, but there's no one more dedicated than he is to his craft, and he's he's got his whole section of action movies, but I think as an actor, he's underrated, because when he pops up in certain things you're blown away by his range. And the first time that that really started to shine through was in Rain Man. And Rain Man leans into the half of the personality that I think we sort of dismissed that Tom Cruise can do easily, which is the cocky, uh, egotistical side of Charlie Babbitt. And by the end of Rain Man, when he has to really connect with his brother and change his lifestyle and um, absorb the difficulties of having a special needs brother, um, and I thought Cruise sold all of that beautifully, uh, Cruz, over the course of his career, has gone toe-to-toe with legends, um, and he still makes it look effortless. This is him sharing scenes with Dustin Hoffman, and the, predominantly, it's just the two of them in most of these scenes, and um, he never looks overmatched. In fact, that was the first time where I started to realize, holy crap, this guy isn't just uh, the kid from Risky Business or Top Gun. Uh, this is someone who we're going to have to pay attention to, and obviously now, for years, we've been paying, paying attention to his range. And so even going back through him, I just think that that is the performance that stands out to me as like one of the most amazing performances in his career. And then I've heard from people today who are like, I haven't even seen Rain Man. And I was like, holy crap, you have to give that a shot because he's unbelievably good in that movie. And that's a thankless position too, because Hoffman's role is so, I don't want to say showy in a, in a bad way, but like that's the role you're going to pay attention to. And, and sometimes I feel bad for, you know, like that, or the other day I was talking about James McAvoy and last King of Scotland, like people that give great performances that are second to the more flashy performance. And so the fact that Tom Cruise can not just keep his own, but make the character as interesting as Dustin Hoffman's character, uh, I think is a testament to Cruise. And it's always hard to, when you're supposed to dislike a character at the start of the movie and then come around yeah. to their side by the end of it. And I don't think a lot of actors can pull that off as easily. You still end up either detesting them or you don't believe that you're not supposed to like them for a long time. If Will Smith ever tries to play a bad guy, you're always like, yeah, but you're Will Smith. Yeah. Like you're going to become, yeah. you'll come back around to the point where we like you again. Um, I've been told that Eric goes next. Eric Davis, uh, give me your choice. All right. Well, if you went up to 10 people and you asked them, just quick, name a Tom Cruise movie, nine times out of 10, they're going to name this movie. Um, my pick is Top Gun. Ooh. I think Cruise uh, is very much defined by Top Gun. I think it's the movie that made him a movie star. When I, I'm a big Tom Cruise aficionado, and when I watch a Tom Cruise movie, I want a little bit of everything. I want a little bit of charisma. I want a little bit of sexy. I want a little bit of an action hero. I want a bit of a lover. I want the whole package because I think Tom Cruise, when he delivers you the whole package, he gives you his best performance. Top Gun gives you everything. It's got the quotable lines. It's got the bromance. It's got the love relationship. It's got the high-flying action. And it's just got Tom Cruise, you know, catapulting up to movie stardom where he is today. I think Tom Cruise is really the last grade A movie star that's left in Hollywood. When you see this man, and I just spoke to him for Mission Impossible Fallout, who he had to learn how to pilot a helicopter in order to do some death-defying helicopter scene, how he jumped out of a plane 103 times in order to get three good takes for a stunt in Fallout. This man, and then the fact that he goes on a red carpet and talks to every single person on that top, you know, on that carpet. The, the man is a legend. He is the last movie star 
The first movie that made him that movie star is Top Gun. That's my pick. Tom Cruise actually genuinely cares about the audience. Uh, and, and like to do a scene like you just talked about in Fallout or Rogue Nation or uh, Ghost Protocol, like he doesn't have to do that. And he's literally risking his life to make that scene as immersive as possible. And yeah, he genuinely is the last, like, I, I mean, it's weird because people don't necessarily go to Cruise's movies unless, nowadays unless they're like the, unless they're the mission films in regards to like the big massive box office. But for a person to genuinely care about the audience as much as he does, and I mean, to a testament to what he just said about the red carpet, I was on a carpet in Vienna for um, Rogue Nation. Rogue and Nation. Sean, you were there too. Yeah, we, we were, I was there too. There yeah. Were, yeah. yeah, that's right. Eric was there too. And there were two massive sections of this carpet. He spent, what, two hours meeting fans first. Yeah. Every person, photo, signature, came up. And then not only, I mean, like, first of all, when you're going on a trip like that, Sean and I, at least, I know for me, because I think Eric, you sat down with him. I wasn't confirmed to get him at all. It was a, will you maybe get him on the carpet kind of thing? Mm. And, oh, my God, when you're crossing him on a carpet that busy, you are the only person that matters in that moment to him. And it's yep, really yep. kind of a surreal thing. And whether it might be him acting, I have no idea. I don't know the guy personally, but you got to give him credit for that. It, it is truly amazing to see somebody. And then you meet these younger stars who have no respect for the press. Some of them, some of the uh, younger stars, not all of them, but some of them, like, they're late or they're, they're not going to talk to everybody. It's like, look at Tom Cruise and Will Smith and Hugh Jackman and, and these guys who are seasoned. I was at a junket the other day for this movie Book Club, and every single actor showed up on time. Nine right. o'clock started. Dude, those cool. are all professionals. Man. I know. Jane Fonda, saying. Yeah. All the, the, they're, they're old school professionals. I got to mention that the CinemaCon thing that Eric was talking about, too. So Macquarie and Tom Cruise come out to describe a scene that's going to be in the movie. And it's essentially, it's going to outdo the point break uh, skydiving scene, which I don't think uh, anything has done since then. And it's Cruise like chasing after Henry Cavill's character hmm. in midair. And um, McCory's like, yeah, you know, because we like to mix things up and make it more difficult. We figured we'd have them dive through a lightning storm. So at one point, both characters <laughs> oh get hit by a God. bolt of lightning. And Literally. Cruise has to, like, spin out. In real Literally. life? They got hit? No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no, no. no. I was like, they what? simulate the lightning, but, they, but everything else I can totally see is... Tom Cruise being like, conjure lightning, <laughs> I want to be struck. Yeah. So what Eric was saying is, like, they literally, because the movie takes place at sunset, they had, like, a three-minute window of when the light was going to match. So they had to jump every night at that time to capture it. And it required 103, 106, something like that. Yeah, 106 different jumps for them to get the amount. Because then they had to teach a cameraman how to jump backwards in front of crews to get the angles that they needed. Like, they had to train cameramen of how to jump also and oh. shoot. So they're laying out with, like, animatic, uh, animatics and showing the whole thing and, and mapping it out. And Macquarie's like, I can't believe that this guy does this. And what spoke to me, what Cruz said after the guy who was leaving the panel come out, he's like, listen, I'm so glad that it's you guys doing it because no one else would really give that kind of commitment. And Cruz said to all the exhibitors, he goes, we just want to make an entertaining film for you guys. We just want to entertain you. And I was like, that's why that guy is who he is. <laughs> On a lower level of, of insanity, can we real quick nerd out about that awesome bridge scene in Abrams' third Mission Impossible when he... When right. he gets bolted back on that car. I mean, that yeah. scene, I don't know why that scene just sticks with me, but that scene blows my mind. Oh, I love the you, know, you, know, you know what's interesting about I, I I sat down with him for Rogue Nation and we went through each of his films and yeah. I had him break down a stunt. He told me with that one, 
JJ kept counting down to when they were going to hit it, and he says it wasn't authentic. I could, I always knew it was coming, and so he goes, "Let's try one more." He goes, "I don't even want it, you to tell me when you push the button." Oh and he so so he just started running, and they pushed the button. He had no idea it was coming, and it threw him into the car. He goes, "That's the one we use. That's the tape." Wow. Did they yank him? Was he like, did they yank him on a wire into the car? Or was that a natural blowback? No, and, it's. I think it's a natural blow. God, man. wow, that move. So yeah, you, uh, Jake just said something that was kind of went off, and it was. Philip Seymour Hoffman, that movie is so amazing. Good. I mean, Mission yeah. Impossible 3, man, 3, 4, and 5. I don't know which one I like better. I probably, I'm more of a 4 guy. I don't know. I think I like 4. 4 so good. Man. All right. Jake is next. So, so <laughs> yeah. far we have Rain Man and we have Top Gun. Yeah, this, this is tough and, and it goes back to, and at this point we're a broken record because we say this every week because we really have to differentiate the difference between favorite and best. And for Tom Cruise, that was really tough for me um, because... Uh, I have so many that, that that would be in my favorite, and uh, and and the one that I'm picking that's my best that is not necessarily even one that I would put in the category of favorites, but it's uh, Born on the Fourth of July, yeah, um, and for a lot of the same reasons that I picked Tom Hanks um, for Castaway, and and that's that this this transformative nature of the part, like he's this like starts out this young ide- idealistic guy. This is still pretty early on in Tom Cruise's career, and he still had that young. Tom Cruise look to him and by the end of the movie it's almost like the Tom like like Tom Cruise could play the role today like just this older really just beaten uh broken man and uh it, it really you know I he he sort of has that uphill battle that we always talk about with with it comes with uh, stardom which is overcoming the celebrity getting you to forget that you're watching Tom Cruise mm. um, which he does quite a bit but sometimes even when he gives a great performance sometimes in my head I think well that's Tom Cruise giving a great performance I do not see Tom Cruise when I watch Born on the Fourth of July. When yeah. I see that performance, it's it's I'm I'm seeing a, a man that went through hells that I can't even imagine, and right. that, that came out a different person on the other side. And that's why I had to really separate. Like, oh, I love him in Collateral, and I love him in Jerry Maguire, and he's great in this, and he's great in that. But when I really had to sat down and go, what is his best performance? I could not get past Born on the Fourth of July. So this speaks a lot to Cruise, but the I know the audience picks. And there's three movies, like one number one and two that are tied. And none of those three have been mentioned by the three of us so far. So, Kevin, you have to pick one of those three to bring it on all back home. And you'll probably end up picking one that's not the three. Well, I was in between two films. And uh, very similarly to what Jake was just saying about favorite, favorite versus best, uh, I, ha- I had a hard time getting away from my initial pick, which ended up, which I learned was my favorite, which was Vanilla Sky. Um, that was my favorite of his films, but best I went with Born on the Fourth of July as well. Um, oh wow! There you go. And I, there you go. Two to it, one. It was a, lost. The reason I went with that movie, it was one of the first films I ever had to turn off because it felt too real. Like I that 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 performance is so brutal and so hard to watch, and unlike Tom Cruise whatsoever, as Jake was just saying. Uh, Oliver Stone, who directed it, right? I mean, it was an incredible direction. I mean, but I I just found that that role so painful. I felt every element of what he was going through in my own body. It was, and like, to me as an actor, to put that through a screen. Um, and again, I watched Born on the Fourth of July way after the movie came out. I mean, I was in college when I saw Born on the Fourth of July. What year did it come out? In the 80s? Was it, was it, it was it the 80s? Late 80s, right. So I, I didn't watch Born on the Fourth of July until probably 2003 or 2004. And, you know, at that time, Tom Cruise is one of the biggest, is the biggest star in the world. 
And like Jake was saying, you don't see Tom Cruise. It, all, it almost kind of freaked me out a little bit that I couldn't see him. Like, I was almost like I was peering into the screen going, is that Tom Cruise? Like, I actually did that. There was a long period of time where I actually genuinely didn't believe that that was Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. I was like, that, that, that's not him. There's no way that's actually him. That's, that's too deep and too dark. Um, Born on the Fourth of July did the same thing for me. To me, it's the most transformative performance of his career. It is the most hard-to-watch performance of his career. I'll never watch the movie ever again. I'll never pop it on on a Saturday afternoon because I'm in the mood to watch Born on the Fourth of July. Um, it's not it's not a movie I'll ever watch again. And say, I guess the same thing people say like Schindler's List is one of Spielberg's best movies. I'll never. I mean, I, I've actually and we'll get into that later on. But there are certain films you just will not put on again. But they're they're so emotionally they hit you so hard that you know that what you saw was great, but you don't want to relive that. Um, and yeah, Marley and me. But Born on the Fourth of July, I, 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 that was that was my that was my pick for the best performance. I mean, to me, it's the best thing. And it's funny because Gabe texted me. I texted Gabe my choice. I said, I'm going between Vanilla Sky and Born on the Fourth of July. He goes, he goes, do you want to pick one that nobody's picked yet? I'm like, what do you, and I didn't understand what that meant. I was like, wait, has somebody already picked one or the other one? I thought one, I thought Jake was going to go Vanilla Sky for sure. And I was I like, like, okay. Vanilla Sky, but yeah. I, I, honestly, for me, it was between um, Born on the Fourth of July, Jerry Maguire, and Magnolia. Those are the three. Magnolia was my third one. I didn't even. Jerry Maguire was great, but that didn't even come into my mind. I like, love Jerry Maguire. I love his performance. Me too. Jerry Maguire. Well, but Magnolia I mean, Thunder. And, and Magnolia Thunder. ended up being the number one audience pick for people who played at home on social media and used hashtag Cruise Blend. They went with Magnolia, tied with or second Tropic Thunder, which is <laughs> which is really fun. Tropic Thunder is just funny. Like I don't know if it's yeah. his best performance, but it's just funny. It's a- it's a pretty great performance. But see that that's where that's where that's where uh, the, and this is a whole another episode we can get into is why comedy isn't in the same category performance wise as drama. If you look at the departure he took on Tropic Thunder, as weird and crazy as that role is, it is a phenomenal performance. But if you pick that, which I mean I, I think Born of the Voyage Lies is a better performance, but it's unacceptable to pick a comedy performance for some weird reason. Uh, people, but I actually would argue that it's harder to do comedy than it is to do drama. And for Tom Cruise to play that role in Tropic Thunder, that was some incredible performance. <laughs> it was, I mean, I don't. Well, you know what's interesting too that those two performances are the most the most unlike Tom Cruise performances. Right. And so it just goes to show you that the audience, when they think of Tom Cruise, they almost prefer to see him doing something that they wouldn't think Tom Cruise would do mm-hmm. right. over the movies that they're used to seeing Tom Cruise do. And so it's interesting that those two movies are, are at the top. Well, and the other one that tied with Tropic Thunder. So Magnolia was the number one audience pick and then tied for second was Tropic Thunder and Collateral, where he plays an assassin. I love you. Yeah, yeah which is that. another yeah, completely I, not I, not a Tom Cruise role. So I know. yeah, more people want to see Tom Cruise when he's doing something that's not, they, they don't expect. Me is to. he the most underrated movie? actor of all time? Of all time? Underrated. What I mean that. by that is underrated in regards to performance. Like we, we, we said this earlier and Jake made this point as well. There's the celebrity, there's the action Tom Cruise, but do people genuinely consider him a great actor? We do. Maybe, can, can I say underappreciated where I don't think the average person truly appreciates what he puts into a movie? Yeah. He doesn't have an Oscar yet. He's never won yeah. an Oscar. Yeah. And, and I think that there are plenty of times that he should have. And now yeah, he's sort of in action mode. He's going from Edge of Tomorrow yeah. to Top uh, yeah, to Mission sequels. Yeah. I want to see him go him, back to Him and Liam Neeson, dramas. I want to see shift back into some drama. Quentin needs to grab him and put him in something. No, yes. that would be cool. Yes. Right? Yes. 
right? I feel like he did. Didn't he want to? Wasn't his name bandied about for... Uh, Was it Inglorious for, Bastards? For, for Inglorious Bastards, it may have been bandied about. That would have been insane. Yeah. Sean, did you say that Cruz is supposed to be Iron Man? I never heard that story. Yeah. I heard that too. Well, I, I think he, now he's he... saying that it wasn't really as close as people thought it was, but I think he was considered before Downey signed on, back when they were really trying to get it off the ground. Could you imagine that? No. no. It would be a total game changer. I think the yeah. universe would be totally different right now. Yeah. I, I, you... God, Downey is so, he's just Stark. That's yeah, would, would, the... he, would, would Cruz have lasted? Would Cruz have lasted as Iron Man? I don't think the MCU Cause... would be where it is today if Cruz took Iron Man. No. I agree. I mean, I, I don't know if he would have lasted, but he's doing six missions. So maybe. Yeah. Maybe. If they yeah, cut... but six missions over, what, 20, 30 years? Like, I mean, like, he would have needed to play six Iron Mans within 10 years. All right, let's get your homework for next week. What do we got? We're coming back around to the way we started the show. And on Jake's recommendation, we're doing John Williams' blend. And I don't know how we're going to do it for a composer, but somehow... We're going to have to pick the best movie that features a John Williams score. I Wait, guess. the best movie that features a John Williams? I'd argue his, or his, his most effective score. work. Like the, 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 piece, of, the piece of work that, that most the, elevates the movie. I agree. That's going to be impossible. All right. So, all right. So we're going to debate the best John Williams score. You his John best Williams score. score. His best musical Eric, piece. Off the top of your wow. head. That's what hard. do you think it is? I mean, uh, that most elevates the movie. I, I agree with a lot of what Kevin said before about Jaws and how it really directly feeds into your fear of that film. But, I mean, Jurassic Park right. and Star Wars. I, I, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to think. The moment when the, when the Star Wars movies kicks in and the crawl comes up, yep. like the way you feel in that moment, yep. that what you're about to watch is so big and so important and yep. you're so giddy, I, it's hard to say... Any, it's anything but Star Wars. It's very true, in my opinion. That's a that's a good call. All right, this has been Real Blend number nineteen, Cruise Blend on popular opinions and the Infinity War breakdown. Uh, guys, tell everybody where you can find us on social media. For, well, for starters, I keep mentioning the sense at the top of the show, and I never get to do it. We have a Twitter feed at Real Blend where you can find all sorts of details about the show. Um, Eric, where can everybody find your work? Yeah. Um, you can find me on Fandango and then also at Eric Davis, E-R-I-K-D-A-V-I-S on Twitter. That's where I do, that's how, where I do most of my work. Actually. Eric, what movie are you most looking forward to the rest of the summer? Mission Impossible Fallout. Yes. That's the my movie. Man. My man. Over Deadpool and over Solo. Oh, it. for sure. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Jake, where can they find you? You can find me at Jake's Takes on Twitter and Instagram or at the dog park in about 20 minutes. Ooh, Kevin, how about yourself? <laughs> Uh, I just changed my Twitter handle to at Ant-Man is awesome. So you can uh, send me all direct tweets. Let there. that be, let, let, let the note show that it was not taken because no one else wants it. <laughs> and I'm at Sean underscore O'Connell. Uh, drop us a review on iTunes. If you missed the live Facebook page, we will be on um, iTunes and Spotify and all the places where you can download. Why podcasts. didn't you ask us what we're excited about for the rest of the summer? Because I, I can talk to you guys every week. <laughs> Every week I'll get to talk to you guys. That'll, that'll be a segment next week. How about that? If I want to come on next week. <laughs> Jake, just say it's book club now and get it over with, for God's sakes. No, you'll never know. <laughs> uh, we'll be back next, what do we say, Tuesday. We're going to be back Tuesday, uh, May something something, right before the guys Maybe. go to Solo. And uh, we'll put all the information on our Twitter feed. Thank you so much for sticking with us for the duration of the show. Eric Davis, thank you so much for joining us and dropping thank your you. Avengers Infinity War knowledge on us. And we hope to have you back on the show sometime soon. 
And in the For meantime, sure. we'll talk to you guys next week. Dunkirk! Dunkirk! <laughs> this is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.